from childhood sexual abuse, homelessness, and severe addiction to drugs and alcohol. John Giordano had an incredible life transformation. You don't want to miss any part of this fantastic story, and it will encourage anyone who knows someone who is struggling with substance abuse. John has published three books and has a lot to offer to our audience today. ResearchGate ranks him as one of the top researchers in the world. He is the expert on addiction, and we are so thankful that he has joined us today on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. I'm so thankful that we finally were able to get together today so that the world can hear your story. And what I want to start with today is your backstory. So if you would share with the audience a little bit about your childhood and the story of abuse and addiction. I want to first thank you for having me on your show. To me, um, I'm doing God's work. And um, that's what this is all about, helping God's kids. And that's how I look at my journey today. My backstory is quite diversified. Number one, um, I was born in the South Bronx in one of the worst neighborhoods. It was written up in Time Magazine as the worst neighborhood wow. in New York City. It was where Fort Apache was. Mm. For those of you who know that, mm-hmm. it was the police station. There was gangs. There was all kinds of things there. Anyway, my father was a heroin dealer. He was also a he did produce, and, oh, and uh, wow. he, started, he started selling drugs, you know, to help with the family. I had a couple, like a mafia family. My uncle was a hitman. My other relatives were bank robbers. And I come from a mafia type of a family. To me, that was a normal family. Uh, everybody was loving. <laughs> we cared about each other. Um, this don't cross them. Uh, otherwise, you wind up in trouble. Anyway, when I was eight years old, my father got arrested and went to jail. At eight and a half, I got my I got molested by two kids in the neighborhood, and um, it was very confusing for me because part of me liked it, and the other part felt disgust and mm-hmm, felt mm-hmm. something was wrong with me that I was broken. I was uh, I was abused by my babysitter when I was nine; she was fourteen. Uh, that was my first introduction to sex, I guess, other than when I got molested by the boys at eight and a half. It really messed me up pretty good because I went to a priest 
and I asked him if he could take this evil out of me. And he says, give me five Hail Marys and 10 Our Fathers and you'll be fine. Well, that didn't work too good. Eventually, what happened was I got into gangs. I was in a black gang and then I was in a Hispanic gang, an Irish gang, an Italian gang. And you had to fight to get into these gangs. And I was looking to dispel this anger that I had inside of me. So as time went by, um, I wind up going to a karate class, but not because I wanted to learn karate. Uh, one of the gang members and I were driving by a karate school, and I said, you know, I wonder how tough these karate guys are. And I think I like to fight with the karate teacher. Oh, by the way, I don't suggest <laughs> that. Okay, it's not a good idea. Anyway, we went upstairs to the karate school, and they were teaching. And it was getting late, and I had to get home. And my father came out of jail, and then I was 14 and a half. I said, I better get home. My father's going to hit me with the belt if I'm one minute late. I went home, and then I told him I wanted to join the karate class. I wanted to learn. My mother didn't want it because she was afraid I was going to get hurt. My father said, nah, let him go. And eventually, they agreed. So I went, and I joined the class, and it happened to be jujitsu. I didn't know what it was. I didn't, you know, I was interested in punching the, the teacher in. See how tough he was, because I thought it was a tough street kid. So, you know, a tough fool is what I was. <laughs> but anyway, um, we went up there and the teacher, they teach you how to roll out and how to fall. And we all sat in a circle. And then he um, asked for a volunteer. He was going to show how to block a punch. So, of course, I raised my hand right away. And as he was talking to the class, I decided to sneak punch him. All I know is this. I went from point A to point B. I was laying on the ground with a foot in my throat and his big round face smiling at me. <laughs> oh, my word. And I said to myself, I now in love with this martial art. I quit the gangs and I went to karate. And I became a karate champion and yeah. uh, a national karate champion. And today I'm in the Black Belt Hall of Fame and uh, Ultimate Warrior Hall of Fame, uh, all kinds of different all kinds of, and also a grandmaster in the martial arts, a black belt in judo, black belt jiu-jitsu, and a 10th degree black belt in karate. Even though coming up, I knew all the right things to do. I trained. I didn't use drugs and alcohol until I was 20. Or, really? Was wow. 18, yeah, 18, 19, around that time. Anyway, I met a girl, and that's how all that started. And uh, in the beginning, uh, I had a friend of mine come over my apartment. I lived in Florida. I jumped up and, you know, I decided to move to Florida. I finally was irate that I was leaving at 17 and a half. But I wanted to go and see the world. And that's what I did. And I didn't know anybody but one guy. His name was George. He was a, a car runner, a car hop. Or, you know, he parked cars. And I stayed with him. And uh, anyway, this guy came into our apartment and he was holding this little vial, okay, with clear liquid in it. Mm -hmm. I said, what's that? He said, well, that's LSD. I said, yeah, I heard about this, expand oh, wow. your mind and all that stuff. And he says, yeah. I said, let me see that. So he gave me the bottle. I opened it up and I drank the whole thing. Oh, my goodness. Well, that was another mistake, okay, because it was for five people, not for one. And I went on a trip for about, oh, about four days, day and night, no sleep. Everything looked like cardboard. Things were moving. 
thoughts were flying. I almost, I, and I almost killed the guy that gave me the LSD by accident because for some reason he looked like a frog. I don't know what that means, <laughs> right? I said, you know, you look like a frog. I think I'm going to kill you. And then he said, well, look at that light over there. And thank God he knew how to change my mind. And I went on this journey. So I started with acid. And then I went to pot. I didn't like pot because it used to make me eat too much. And I got in my way of my training. So I went through all of that. What happened in my class before I took the acid, I was teaching karate at a hotel. My students used to come stoned. And I'm saying, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> and I would exercise them until they throw up. They would come back to the next class and do the same darn thing. I said, well, something's going on here. They said, well, you never tried drugs. So I guess that stuck in my head when I did the acid. Mm. Anyway, okay. I went through that journey. And then I went up. I want to make it real quick. I went up on pills. And I went up doing, uh, I did opiates once. I didn't like it. I threw up. I never drank because I used to get sick. So I, I winded up um, doing all that. But at the age 20, I got married. My uncle threw the wedding. So now that's the hitman. Okay. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So on once, and I married a Jewish girl. And I'm not Jewish. Of course, I'm Italian. The family didn't want her to marry a non Jewish man, but they liked my family. <laughs> well, I guess they didn't know them. <laughs> anyway. We got married, and my uncle threw the wedding. And on one side of the room, her father was a lawyer. Her mother was the head of the PTA. And on one side of the room was lawyers and doctors, guys with pens. And the other side of the room was racketeers, uh, drug dealers with guns. So it was quite, quite comical. Oh, kidding. Uh, um, the caterer, uh, we had some extra people come, and he got in front of my uncle's face, and he, said, he insulted him in front of uh, the family. So the next morning he killed them. Wow. And then we had to leave Florida uh, real quick, uh, New York, I mean, real quick to get back to Florida because they were coming over to my grandmother's house, all the detectives to pick up my uncle. That was my beginning story of this journey of drugs and alcohol. I said I would never be like my family. I ended up being just like them. I wound up dealing drugs, and I used to do collection work for the smugglers. I used to teach one of the cartel's bodyguards martial arts. Uh, I did a lot of crazy stuff. And anyway, eventually, I got out of hand over the years, and my family did what is known as an intervention on me. Oh, really? Your yeah. family did? Yes. And I told you who my family was, right? Right. So I'm one of them who did an intervention on them. Because no kidding. they were drug dealers. And I was really out of, I was, I was out of control. Totally out of control. And that's how I got to, but it didn't happen right away. So if I, let me back up a little bit. Before all, I started getting out of control. I did a lot of things. Um, I used to do plays in the theater performing arts. Uh, Kabuki Theater. And this is while I was using periodic on a weekend sometimes. Uh, I put a concert together with James Brown and I revitalized Liberty City in Overtown. That's the black, black community where they had the riots and nobody wanted to go in there and shop. I worked for Flea Market USA. They had about 500 businesses under one roof 
And I got together with the SBA people, a small business association to teach people how to run a business, how to buy wholesale. Then I went to all the churches and all the deacons and, you know, had them, you know, get together to help me to revitalize the city and bringing in other Caucasians, Hispanics into the community. And then, now this is what I was using, by the way. Not heavy, but heavy enough. I decided to invite President Reagan to come to the flea market concert with James Brown. Everybody laughed at me. What happened was the White House sent me a letter stating that the president, sorry, couldn't show up, but he's sending a representative. And that was Carrie Meeks. Carrie Meeks was... Um, at the time, she, she became Senator Meeks eventually. And Carrie Meeks uh, checked me out, did everything, and they presented me with the Martha Luther King Award on stage in front of 60,000 people. It was an outdoor concert that was free to the communities. So even while I was using, I was sometimes on the right track, but I got run over by a train, <laughs> went onto the wrong track. And that's when the family members eventually said, John, you're out of control. I mean, I was fighting. I was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So I went to treatment. I didn't believe in treatment. I said, treatment, what am I doing with these people? I don't even, I wouldn't even get high with these people. What am I doing with them? So my mother said, she'll never talk to me again, which my mother would never do that. So I said, look, I said to myself, I'm going to take a rest. I'll, I'll just stop using for a while. Maybe I went a little overboard. And I had a little Coke in my sock. I went into the bathroom, do a couple of hits. And then I went upstairs to treatment. I had dark sunglasses on. See, I didn't want anybody to know me because I used to teach a lot of the doctors and the nurses their kids. And here I am in a drug treatment center in Mount Sinai Hospital. So anyway, I went in there. I remember sitting in group and they're telling me to share my secrets. So if I share my secrets, I have to kill you. So, you know. <laughs> uh, and then when the therapist started coming on me too hard, I would tell him, listen, if you keep messing with me, when you go down to your car, I'm going to have my black belt beat the shit out of you. I mean, I was the nastiest, angriest person that you want to meet. And that all came out as I was clearing up, and I started to realize how I hurt myself and my family and how angry I was. It wasn't anybody else. I was angry at me for being in this position. You know, one end of the, under the world, I was, everybody looked up to me as a this karate champion, and the other end, uh, a drug addict. You know, drug addicts have a different mask that they wear. Right. So what you see is not what you got. And uh, anyway, I had a spiritual awakening and treatment. And what happened was, the um, it was Christmas Eve. I went, in, I went into treatment December 4th. Now, that's coming up on 38 years I'm in recovery now. If you would have told me this, I would have probably punched you in the face trying to make fun Uh of you. uh The bottom line was is that I wanted to go home on Christmas Eve to spend it with the family, and the therapist said I can't. And I got crazy. I don't just get angry. I got rageful. I punched the door. I walked into my room. I never had my bags unpacked. I was always leaving. Thank God my family knew the owners of the treatment center, so they tolerated some of my nonsense. (laughs) Otherwise, they should have thrown me out. I remember the therapist saying to me, John, you ever pray on your knees? I said, let me tell you something. I got calluses on my knees. I'm a recovering Catholic. That's all we did was pray. 
So he says, no, 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 for humility. I says, give me a break. What do you mean God doesn't listen to me? How about if I'm in the closet? You think you can hear me? So I, you know, it was all this anger, but I had all this pain. Because, you know, when you clear up all the stuff that you did and all the things, you start to see, instead of blaming everybody, you start to look at yourself. I try to get my knees down. I know this may sound a little weird to you people that are listening to this, but I couldn't get my knee down. And that freaked me out a little bit. Seemed a little stupid. Anyway, I had to push my knee down. Then I had to push my other knee down. And I think for the first time, I prayed to get rid of this pain that I'm in, this anger, this rage. And it left like it never was there. And I still can remember that time. And it just vanished. And I don't know about you or anybody else out there. My stuff don't vanish like that. Right. And so I try to get it back. It wouldn't come back. That was my first spiritual awakening and treatment, my turning point. My second turning point in treatment was just before you leave treatment, they have what is known as exiting. Now, exiting means they have the therapist, they have the nurses, the doctors in a room, and they see if you need long-term treatment or more treatment. And by the way, I was there six weeks instead of four. The doctor said I was doing great. The therapist, the nurses said, yeah, John turned the corner. And the head doctor said, well, you could take the, the kid out of the street, but you're not going to take the street out of the kid. I turned around and just cursed at her. I looked at everybody and said, you know, I could kill everybody in this room. You'll never get out alive. And their doctor said to me, John, all we want to do is help you. I burst out crying. I ran out of the room. I felt like I was an inch tall running out of my shoes. And that's when everything changed. And over time, when I went they had to throw me out of aftercare because it was only supposed to be for a year. I stayed six, uh, a year and a half. I went to therapy. I did everything. I didn't even know what therapy was. I didn't even know what treatment was, by the way. I went to, they said, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I just kept going to meetings. I didn't like them. I says, I didn't come here to join a new religion. Uh, I, I, I feel like I want to get high when I come here. You know, maybe everybody's coming here to get meet connections outside. I looked at everything negative, but as time went by, things started to change. I started to look at things differently, and I started to clear up more and more and more, and I only went to the ninth grade. So I was really, I had really low self-esteem. You would never know it, but I couldn't spell very well. Thank God for spell check today. Anyway, my grammar wasn't that well, good either. And um, they have grammar check, by the way, so don't worry about that. Here I am. I went back to school. I got my GED. Uh, I did all this. I don't want to give away the whole book. Uh, it's the kid from the South Bronx who never gave up. Well, John, there is much more to your story that, that we want to hear. And we're just going to take a short 30-second break. And when we come back, you are going to tell us how your life not only turned around, but has been an incredible influence on so many others. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, 
Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. This has been an incredible first half to an amazing story. I have a hundred questions which we don't have time for here and this is one reason why every listener today needs to buy John's book. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So before we talk about your book, I want to ask about your motivation, John. You said how, how your life changed, but then you also, your son and your wife almost died from addiction. And that motivated you to help other families. So give us a a couple minutes about that, and then we will talk about what you have done to change this whole world. Okay. Um, One little thing is, while I I got divorced and I became homeless, um, and my friend locked me a hotel room where I had a jar where I put quarters in when I had quarters, and a bicycle somebody loaned me, and my kids used to come, and we all used to cry together. They couldn't figure out why daddy was there and what I was doing there in that hotel room. I wind up telling the guy that owned the, the hotel that I had this doctor who was a very well known in the community. And I says, he wants to open up a treatment center, but I lied because I never spoke to the doctor about that. So he said, how much money do you need? So I laughed to myself. I said, the only thing I know about treatment is I was in a treatment center. What do I know about it? how much it costs to have a treatment center. I told him a quarter of a million dollars. He says, if you can get that doctor, you got it. Long story short, I got the doctor. Everything worked out. But what happened was eventually the doctor and I hired my therapist and I hired a bunch of people. Um, It was an amazing trip. I went back to school, did everything. But my therapist didn't like the fact that his client was his boss. I was so appreciative that they saved my life. But what happened, wind up happening is they took the treatment center out from under me. A whole bunch of things went on. That happened. And I, I couldn't leave because I needed 6,000 hours of, of supervised training in order to get my certified addiction professional um, certification. And I had 300 hours of um, college of addiction training. So I had to stay and suck it up. He goes into more detail in the book. I said, for the time uh, constraints, I'm just going to go bypass all that. And um, eventually what happened was after I got all my hours, I got fed up. I walked into the office, told the counselor that I was going to rearrange his face and no plastic surgeon could fix it. I said, (laughs) and then I'm going to call my uncle and he's going to come down and blow your kneecaps off. So I got my contract. Three months later, I left. Um, and then I went and got this other, the same friend of mine got me another guy to open up a different treatment center. I raised the money a year later. They took it out from under me because I never had lawyers. I'm a street kid. I don't know about right, lawyers. Right. If you cheat me, I punch you, you know? Uh, and the bottom line is I got, I didn't know he was a corporate raider and that's what happened. Meanwhile, as life goes on, uh, I just kept going. And then I wound up being a clinical director for an indigent facility that was a 55-bed facility for HIV clients and people that were dual diagnosed. 
Meanwhile, my son almost died from this disease. He OD'd, and I watched him put charcoal down his throat in the hospital, and I was crying hysterical, blaming myself for being an addict. And my therapist and my support team system told me, hey, John, that's his choices. You do. You changed your life. He's got to learn. Mm-hmm. Today, I can tell you, he's got 18 years clean, and he's the oh, best son awesome. I can ever have in my entire life. And it goes into all the trials and tribulations I had with him and my daughter. And then my wife, over the years, is in recovery. She wound up relapsing and almost dying. And that cleared up, and now she's 15-year-old clean. Life shows up. And what wound up happening is I started a treatment center, which I didn't want to do again, but with my own money. But I only had $300 because, (laughs) see, addiction comes in many flavors. It's not just drugs and alcohol. There's eating disorders. There's shopping uh, shopping addiction. There's gambling addiction. There's many different flavors for addiction. Most people say, well, how do you know you're an addict? I said, look, here's a simple way. When you continue to do a substance or a behavior in spite of adverse consequences, maybe you need to take a look at that. Good. So So what wound up happening was I opened up this treatment center with $300. That's all I had. My friend owned the building. It was 750 square feet. And he's, I says, I only got $300. He says, how much you got 300 Good. Pay me in three months after you build it up. And as time went on, I built it up. I got my other friend, Jerry, came in, who I used to work with at this place called The Better Way. And then his son was a genius with the internet. And we, you know, we had the bill collectors for at least two or three years chasing us. And we still gave people treatment that didn't have any money. And we couldn't even pay our own bills, but it was, we didn't matter. And eventually uh, it got better and better and better. And I got in touch with different scientists and researchers and uh, people used to laugh at me, go to Giordano, he'll give you vitamins and cure you. And I used to tell them that we're missing something. There's only a five to 8% recovery rate. We're not looking at people. Where's depression coming from? Where is anxiety coming from? It's not just coming from your psychological. You can have leaky gut syndrome, Ace pylori infection, all these gut issues that cause depression, anxiety, low testosterone, high testosterone, closed head injuries, hypoglycemia, heavy metals, toxicity. People, we're not looking at this even today. But we looked at it with my treatment center. We did hyperbaric medicine. We did neurofeedback, acupuncture. We did all kinds of different treatments. And uh, we wind up in 2012, we sold the treatment center for, you ready? $45 million. Unbelievable. Now, if you would have told me that, I definitely would have stopped punching you. (laughs) Or try to tease me. And it's really interesting how the journey changed. Here I am, went to the ninth grade, got a GED. I got all my certifications. I went to college. I was going to get licensed. I read, I opened the book, and I see the book was five years old. By the time I got out of college, it was antiquated. It was already outdated. My word. So I decided to get certifications where people can really, I can really help. And then they gave me an honorary doctorate degree. 
And here I am, I lecture all over the world. I write books. Uh, I'm, I'm in all these uh, peer-reviewed journals. If, never in a million years, I remember them telling me in the beginning of treatment, beyond your wildest dreams. And I said, these people are nuts because I could not see a way out. But I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. That's it. And that's what changed my life and changed a lot of lives. I like what you said there. Not just changed your life, but it's changed a lot of lives. Well, awesome. you know, you save one addict or alcoholic and help them to save themselves. You don't save them. They save themselves. You save a whole family. That's right. If, if I that's can, right. I want to read something that I wrote in the back of this book, which I tell everybody about. There is one thing in this world, one special lesson, one constant that has guided me through the turbulent waters of life. This infinite rule, which most people know, but ignore, or who simply do not follow their life lessons. That is, no matter what, no matter the circumstances, the obstacles, the people that get in our way, or things that slow us down, follow this one simple rule. Never give up on your dreams, never let go of your passions, and especially never give up on yourself or God of your understanding. I was blessed to become extremely successful, and I'd like to share my story with you. This is how my life was transformed and how I saved from falling into the abyss of hell and by following this one rule and learning how to have a life worth living. Just as you have touched me deeply in many areas, you have touched this audience. I know that. You come from a place that it was raw. You shared your story raw, which I absolutely love and thank you for that. And to come to a place of understanding your fellow man, of wanting to help your fellow man. And as many people that I've had on this show with even stories, you know, remotely close and some very different than this, they all basically say the same thing. And that is their motivation is to help someone else. That is evident in when you shared your story. And I know that my audience is going to love sharing this. They need to buy your book. They need to share your story and and your book. And I encourage each one to do that. All the links will be in the show notes. And I trust that your book will get into the hands of those not only for an interesting read, but for those who really need to hear this. Writing the book, I cried. Yes. I got a little down. I got up. Yeah. It was a journey that what I had to put it down because I had to relive all of the traumas yes, in my life. Yes, yes. One thing I want to ask you about because this really impresses me and that is the 79 peer-reviewed research papers that have been published. Explain to the audience in case they do not know the impact that this has. Well, in order to get a peer-reviewed journal Okay, you have to have evidence, number one. It has to be in front of, they, they put it in front of a board of scientists, researchers, and mm -hmm, doctors. Mm -hmm. 
And they have to, they look at it, they tear it apart and put it back together. And it has to have efficacy. So it has to have substance that makes sense. Um, and um, that's what it takes. And I'm what I work with about doctors and scientists and researchers and clinicians from about 15 universities. Now, if you're going to ask me how that happened, I don't even have a clue. <laughs> Good I, answer. Just, I know some of the top scientists actually in the world, and I have them on speed dial. Here I am, a kid from the South Bronx, who only really only went to the ninth day to get a GED, doing all this. So for you that are listening out there, don't give up hope, okay? Just put one foot in front of the other. And remember, the best high in the world is not only helping yourself, but it's helping others. Thank you for that. Now, in conclusion, I'd like you to share um, about your books. First of all, I know there's one in particular that your new release, but if you want to share your others, that's that's great. And also, who should buy them? Well, you know, who should buy them? Anybody who wants to read something that may impact their life. And it's uh, one of the books is How to Beat Your Addiction and Live a Quality Life. And it goes into the way I wrote the book. It was real simple. I interviewed 200 addicts, alcoholics, people that had other behaviors. I wanted to know what they did to stop those behaviors and to stay clean and sober. And not just stopping drugs and alcohol, not just stopping them, but how to live a quality life. So I interviewed them, I put that in the book. Then I interviewed about 100, about 150 people that were chronic relapses, that kept relapsing. I wanted to know what they did and what they didn't do and put that in the book. And then I put my own things into the book. And that's how I wrote the book. Okay, that's that's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And they're available, Amazon? Oh, they're available everywhere. You can right, get them on Amazon, right. you can get them at Walmart, you can get them at Barnes & Noble. You can... Right, okay. Yeah. Now, you did uh, give us a conclusion already, a synopsis of your story, and I appreciate that. Any other words as we close that you would like to share? Well, one of the things that I always tell people is this. Never give up no matter how bad things seem. And uh, reach out and ask for help. There's no shame in that game. Thank you, John. This has been enlightening, to say the least. Encouraging. I'm thankful that someone like you and your expertise is out there to bring awareness to this increasing problem, especially in our current climate. So I thank you for that, and I thank you for being on Never ever give up hope. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.